Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here is Friday, April 29th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know. We got ourselves a doozy of a show today. We are going to open, obviously, reaction NFL draft. So much to get into. We're talking about the wide receiver position. A.J. Brown on the way out. What does it mean for the future of football? I think that's very fascinating. The winners, the losers, the Jets, the Lions. What about the Packers who didn't draft a wide receiver just like I told you they weren't going to? We'll talk about that. From there, we'll switch gears. We'll do some college stuff. We got booster wars going on at Miami. I told you this was going to happen. Miami, just a complete dumpster fire in the NIL game. We'll talk a little bit about some of the news and notes from hoops. Antonio Reeves commits to Kentucky. And finally, we will wrap with something a little bit different. We'll play where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. What we'll do, though, is the NFL draft edition of where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Talking about my biggest hits in the NFL draft and my worst takes in the NFL draft. So that is all coming up today. Fun Friday show. Lot to get into. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is obviously, look, it's the NFL draft, and we're going to hit it from a million different directions, which did not sound good, by the way. But we're going to get to all sorts of stuff from the NFL draft. But to me, the biggest story within the NFL draft was actually the trade of A.J. Brown. But to me, there was something even more interesting about the A.J. Brown trade that does need to be discussed here. So we're going very meta here to start the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Yeah, I said it. We're going to hit it. We're going to hit this NFL draft from all different directions, but we're going to start with the A.J. Brown trade because to me... The A.J. Brown trade isn't just about a really good wide receiver getting traded from the Tennessee Titans to the Philadelphia Eagles. It is a sea change that is happening before our eyes in the NFL that, is, that was crystallized on Thursday night at the NFL draft in Las Vegas. And that change is this. The wide receiver position is officially the new running back. And what do I mean by that? It is officially the position where you draft a guy, you get production out of a guy, and then you get rid of him before it is time to pay the guy. Now, it's not the case with everybody. Some teams are still willing to pay, but I do think we're seeing a trend. I do think it is happening fast before our eyes, and I think, again, it crystallized on Thursday night in Vegas. So let me explain. Let me do a little bit of backstory, and let me, you know, because I think, you know, obviously, look, there's a lot of you guys and girls that listen to this show that are in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, but there's also many of you in your 20s and your teens that listen to the podcast as well. And I bring it up because for those of us in our 30s and our 40s and our 50s, you remember a day where the running back was often the highest paid player on the team. You couldn't win at the highest level without a great running game, without a great running back. And because of it, the running back was compensated accordingly. When it was time to pay Emmett Smith, you paid Emmett Smith. When it was time to pay, I don't know, Terrell Davis, Jerome Bettis, whoever, you paid Terrell Davis, Jerome Bettis, whoever, Curtis Martin. Uh, Barry Sanders before he retired. You had to pay the running backs because if you didn't have a good running back, you had nothing. And so I bring it up because, I don't know, what, about 15, 20 years ago, something really interesting happened in the NFL. In the NFL, GM started to realize something. They said, wait a second now. If we're actually looking at these guys and we're actually 
trying to do this smartly, let's be honest about the running back position. These guys usually start playing in middle school sometimes, sometimes early fourth, fifth, sixth grade. They take a million, they take a million hits as a running back in middle school. Then they take a million hits in high school. Then they take a million hits in college. And by the time they get to the NFL, they have, yes, one to two to three to four really good years as a running back in the NFL. And then what happened? The body catches up on them. The wear and tear catches up on them. And by 26, 27, 28, they're completely out of the league. And so about 10, 12, 15 years ago, NFL teams just got smart and said, wait a second now. Why are we going to pay a guy at 25 or 26 for pass production when he's going to fall apart in two or three years from now. So we'll pay him for a good year or two, and then the last two, three years, we're going to have to pay him for absolutely nothing. And so about 15, 18, 20 years ago, most NFL teams just said, we're not paying running backs anymore. We'll draft a guy, have him for two, three, four years, and when it's time to pay him, we'll just move on from him and draft another guy. There are still guys that get paid at running back, Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, but I looked it up here on Friday morning. As of right now today, April 29, 2022, of the top 30 highest paid players in the NFL. Zero are running backs. Zero are running backs. And it's because most teams are just like, I'm just not using my cap space to pay a running back. And so why do I bring it up? It is because I believe that wide receiver is officially the new running back. Now, there are still teams that are willing to pay guys, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think we are heading towards a future where a lot of these guys are going to be like, I want my money, I want my money. By the way, I don't disrespect anybody who wants their money. But I also think there's going to be a lot of organizations that go ahead and sit there and say, you know what, we'll move off of you, we'll draft the next guy. We saw it Thursday night with the Tennessee Titans. Just think about this entire offseason in the NFL. Think about the entire offseason in the NFL. And obviously, look, the big story is the quarterbacks, right? The big story is the quarterbacks. It's Russell Wilson going to Denver. It's Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland. It's Matt Ryan going to Indy. Uh, it's Tom Brady retiring and unretiring. But the other big story that hasn't gotten as much, you know, kind of coverage because of the quarterbacks is what's going on at the wide receiver position. Devontae Adams wants to get paid. The Packers don't want to do it, so they trade him to the Las Vegas Raiders. Tyreek Hill says the same thing. He goes, well, wait a second now. Devontae Adams just got this money from the Raiders. I want this from the Chiefs. Chiefs are like, we're good. Trade you to the Miami Dolphins. And then again, A.J. Brown wants to get his, his money. So the reports are he was offered about $20, $25 million a year. No, not, not $25, like $20 million a year. He said it's not enough. And the Tennessee Titans just said, we're good. We're going to trade you. We're going to draft Traylon Burks to replace you. He's basically the same wide receiver, big physical tough guy who's fast as heck, just, just the same as you are. And so why is this happening? I think it's because we are seeing, again, an entire shift in football. And it kind of goes back to what I said with the running backs a minute ago. What happened about 10, 12, 15 years ago, we stopped paying the running backs. I already talked about that. So you know what started happening at the youth levels? Parents said, I'm not letting my son play running back because there's no money in playing running back. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put him at receiver because that's all those guys get paid. You know, I don't know, 10 years ago, who were the great wide receivers? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Chad Ochocinco and Terrell Owens and Plaxico Burris. Like, like they all got paid. So now what has happened is as the, the youth level is giving high school football, is giving college football a million great wide receivers, and you can get difference makers in round one right now that impact your team today. First of all, the boom in wide receivers. We are getting so many great wide receivers out of college every year. I looked it up today. It's insane. 2020 NFL draft. That was the year Joe Burrow went number one overall. Six first-round picks at the wide receiver position. Eight of the top 34 picks overall. In other words, you go to the second round. The first two picks were wide receivers. Eight of the top 34 picks were wide receivers. And we got some real good ones out of that 2020 draft. Justin Jefferson from LSU. CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. Henry Ruggs. Jerry Judy from Alabama. Last year, 2021, five first-round picks at the wide receiver position. Three in the top ten including Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle, who had statistically two of the best rookie seasons ever. And this year we had five first rounders last night. And so if you look at it from the perspective of all the great wide receivers coming in, you don't need to pay the 25, 26, 27 year old wide receiver, because guess what? The guys coming in are just as good and just as productive. We're going to talk about Jamar Chase and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong later in the show, because I completely whiffed on this guy. I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be the single most dominant player. I think you could argue the entire playoffs outside of maybe Cooper Cup. But here he was, rookie, first year, dominating the playoffs, 100-plus yards in back-to-back playoff games. And the Bengals are paying him nothing. Justin Jefferson, second in the league in receptions. 
Miami, uh, Minnesota Vikings are paying him nothing. Jalen Waddle, rookie wide receiver. Miami Dolphins set all sorts of rookie records. Miami Dolphins are paying him nothing. And so why do you have to pay A.J. Brown $20 million a year? Why do you have to pay Tyreek Hill $30 million a year? Why do you have to pay Devontae Adams $25 to $30 million a year when you can go out and get a guy in a draft and pay him 3 or $4 million a year? And so I don't want to belabor the point, but to me, Thursday night was just like, oh, my God, we're here. I'll give you an example from outside of base, from outside of football. Remember about like three, four years ago, we had that MLB World Series in the bubble? And remember, it's the Dodgers versus the Rays. They're playing the whole series in Texas. They decide to bring all the teams to Texas to play, play the MLB playoffs. And we're in, you know, I don't know, game five, game six. And yeah, I'm going off the radar here. We'll get back to football in a minute. But, you know, game five, game six, it's the closeout game of the World Series. The Rays have to win to keep their season alive. And in the sixth inning, they pull their starter, Blake Snell, the best pitcher in baseball that year. And it was because of the analytics, and the analytics said it was time to make the move. And we were all just like, oh, my God. We had been hearing about how analytics are ruining baseball, but this is like crystallized. Oh, this is right in front of us. Like, you cannot miss this. And I think the A.J. Brown thing was a seminal moment in football on Thursday night. There are still going to be teams like the Raiders. There's still going to be teams like the Dolphins that either need, need the established star, need the star power, need a difference maker. In the case of the Philadelphia Eagles, they just can't draft wide receivers, so they're like, I'd rather pay the guy that we know could produce rather than, than, you know, the, the, rather than uh, you know, try to draft a guy over and over. But I also think they're, they're, there's a lot of smart teams now. Tennessee Titans are a smart team. They just won their division. They just had the number one seed in the playoffs. Green Bay Packers won the division, number one seed in the playoffs. Kansas City Chiefs, what is it, four straight AFC championship games, two Super Bowls over the last couple of years? These smart teams are saying, you know what? We think we can find the next guy in the draft. The Tennessee Titans did it on Thursday night with A.J. Brown, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, and now we'll see how good Traylon Burks is, baby. How about them hogs? Traylon Burks, former Arkansas Razorback, is now a Tennessee Titan. But to me, just a fascinating story about where we are in football right now and where we are with the wide receiver position. Really quick, let's rip through some of the other storylines from the NFL draft. Uh, we got a busy show today. First of all, I'm scared to say it. You know who I think the winners were? Like, we always do this, right? Winners and losers of the NFL draft the day after the NFL draft. You know who I think the winners of the first round of the NFL draft were, besides the Eagles, who obviously got an established star in A.J. Brown? I think the winners were the Jets and the Lions. Like, what? You talk about a bizarro world. Jets and Lions. What are we even doing here? Let's start with the Jets. So, first of all, you know, the Jets, it's, it's really funny, right? You know, obviously, being from Connecticut, I have a lot of friends who are Jets fans. Um, my buddy John Frisella, who writes for Aaron Torres online, is a Jets fan. And during the draft, he's kind of hitting me up, and what do you think, and da-da-da-da. I love what the, the Jets just did this in this draft, okay? So let's, let's go ahead and talk about what the Jets did because with the, what was it, the fourth overall pick, the New York Jets selected Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati. And, and listen, one thing about me, a couple things. I, you know, I obviously give opinions, right? I don't claim to be a film junkie that has all the answers as to why this cornerback is better than that cornerback. But what I can tell you is trends that I see and why I like the pick. So first of all, with the Jets, they draft Sauce Gardner. My buddy John Frisella, how, how good is he? What's the difference? I, I mean, I can't tell you if he's going to be Darrell Revis or, you know, a bust. But what I can tell you is stuff that I've observed. And this is what I've observed about uh, Sauce Gardner during his time at Cincinnati. Do you remember that playoff game that Cincinnati played against Alabama? You probably slept through it because it was boring as hell because Alabama just ran the ball right at Cincinnati. But I think there was something to be said about the fact that they didn't throw the ball very much either. And that to me is, you know, like if you're a Jets fan, why I like Sauce Gardner, I'm not smart enough to know if he's going to work or if he's not. But what I do know is in the college football playoff, Nick Saban said very clearly, if the only way we can lose, if we just run the ball right at that team, they can't stop us. The only way we can lose is to throw the ball at their cornerbacks because they have the best cornerbacks that we have seen maybe all season long. That's no disrespect to Georgia. That's no disrespect to LSU. Maybe Georgia's corners were better. I don't know. But Nick Saban basically said, we're not throwing it at that guy, even with the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in, uh, in Bryce Young, even with a first rounder in Jamison Williams. Because if we throw at that guy, that's how we might lose the game because he might pick off a few of those things. So do I like Sauce Gardner? I like him because Nick Saban was afraid of him. So that was the first pick that the Jets had. The Jets obviously had a second first round pick. And speaking of wide receivers, they took Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. I love him. I thought he was the best wide receiver in the draft. I thought he was the best wide receiver I saw in college football all this past year. I don't care about the stupid Bolitnikov Award, which is just a dumb award that never actually 
you know, values the best wide receiver in college football. But Garrett Wilson, I thought, was the best wide receiver that I saw all of last year. As a matter of fact, the only guy that I thought might have been better was his own teammate, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was not eligible for this NFL draft. But Garrett Wilson, uh, I thought, was was the best uh, wide receiver. I saw 70 catches, 12 touchdowns, crazy speed to burn. And so I'm really excited to see him in a Jets uniform. Listen, I don't think Zach Wilson's the answer. We'll talk about it later and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I've been questioning this guy since day one, since before he was a Jet. But you've got to put him in a position. If you believe that he's the answer, you've got to get him weapons. Garrett Wilson is that guy. And then finally, you know, Jermaine Johnson, the kid from Florida State. Now, I remember Jermaine Johnson from Last Chance U, Independence Community College, baby. Coach JB, Coach Jason Brown, been on this podcast. But he goes to Georgia plays big minutes, big snaps, but obviously in a role that he doesn't believe benefits him, goes to Florida State, and he was a guy that I think a lot of people thought was going to go top 10 in the NFL draft this 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 season, obviously after a very successful uh, season at Florida State. Instead, he's still there late in the first round and goes number 26 overall. Now, he's not perfect. If you watch Last Chance, you, you know he's got a little chip on his shoulder, a little attitude, a little ego. But you get him at number 26 when people thought that you were gonna that he was gonna go in the top 10 potentially. That's a steal for the Jets. So how about the Jets? They got uh, you know the corner that they clearly wanted. They got I believe the best wide receiver in the draft. And then oh by the way they got a a, a defensive end who dominated at Florida State this past season. A phenomenal year at Florida State. And a guy that when you look at the numbers, first of all, 12 sacks at Florida State. Get out of here. Um, but you know, this was a guy that people thought was going to go in the top 10. The Jets get him at number 26 overall. Another winner from Thursday night? Yes, I think it was the Detroit Lions. The Detroit freaking Lions. How about the Lions? How about Dan Campbell biting kneecaps? Listen, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, I think we all thought was going to go number one. And I don't know, listen, I don't know if Aiden Hutchinson's the guy. He's a little bit older. He's a little bit more mature. He's a little bit more experienced. But the one thing you cannot question about Aiden Hutchinson, one is production, right? Trevon Walker, number one overall pick. I'm not smart enough to know if he's going to work if he isn't. But he just didn't produce. And people say it's because of the position that he played. It's because of this. It's because of that. Well, I know Aiden Hutchinson, when he gets on the field, he produced for Michigan this year. 14 sacks. I think he was third in college football. Will Anderson, Devin Lloyd, and Aiden Hutchinson in sacks ton of tackles for loss and the thing about him this guy plays his you know what off and so can he stay healthy he was banged up a lot during the 2020 season that's a big reason why he decided to come back from Michigan for this past season but the one thing you're not going to question with that guy is effort and I think that's the one thing that Dan Campbell is trying to bring into his building dudes who love football dudes who are going to leave it all on the field and so you got Aiden Hutchinson and then oh by the way you got Jamison Williams middle of the first round which is another guy that look you you can't question his heart you can't question his football his love for football it's funny I was watching with my wife and she even said she goes that kid just looks like he loves football I said I don't know if it's going to work he's coming off major knee surgery this is Jamison Williams I'm talking about but I will tell you this that dude loves football you know how I know he loves football because this year he played on special teams at Alabama. The best wide receiver maybe in college football was playing on special teams. He was a gunner on kickoff coverage. He was a gunner or gunner on punt coverage, excuse me. Remember, never forget, he got thrown out of the Iron Bowl for targeting. He, he, he on, a, on a kick, on a, on a punt, I think it was a kickoff coverage, punt coverage, I can't remember. But he got, he got kicked out for targeting because the guy's played a million miles an hour. So the dude loves football. And look, this is who the Detroit Lions are trying to be. It's not going to work until they have a quarterback. But I don't think there's any doubt they were playing better over the second half of last year. They got their franchise offensive tackle in Panay Sewell last year. This year they get Aiden Hutchinson. They get Jamison Williams. I love their draft. Two teams that I didn't love. Green Bay Packers, first of all. And you talk about where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I've been saying this for six weeks now. So I was on air the day that Devontae Adams got traded on Fox Sports Radio. Or maybe it was a day after. It was during March, during March Madness, whatever. And I think the common sentiment was, well, the Packers, you know, what we just talked about with the wide receivers. Well, the Packers, they, they traded them, but they could just get a guy in the draft. And I said, well, why do we think they're going to get a guy in the draft? This is a team that for like seven years, Aaron Rodgers is like, can you get me some freaking help in the first round? And every single year, what ends up happening? They end up just drafting whatever defensive player that they want. And the famous stat is that since 2010, they've only drafted one offensive player in the first round of the NFL draft. And who was it? It was Jordan Love, the guy who was supposed to replace Aaron Rodgers. 
And so what ends up happening? Oh, well, they'll trade Devontae Adams and they got the Raiders pick and they'll use it to draft a wide receiver. I know. With the 22nd pick, that was the, the Vegas Raiders pick. They took Quay Walker, linebacker from Georgia. Good player. Not here to criticize. And then, oh, by the way, 28th pick, which was their own. They took Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle, Georgia. So they had two picks. They had two chances to get Aaron Rodgers a wide receiver. And I know the great wide receivers were off the board. But they instead went with a linebacker and a defensive tackle out of Georgia. And Aaron Rodgers, with that long mop he's got on his head, he must have been pulling his hair out. So that was one, I'll tell you, I get a lot of stuff wrong. That was one I got dead right. I told you. I said, look, yeah, maybe they're going to use the extra picks on a wide receiver, but we have a 15-year track record that they really don't care what Aaron Rodgers wants and they really don't care about surrounding him with talent. I was shocked. I was disappointed by the Green Bay Packers passing on a wide receiver, and there's still some good ones available just because five went off the board in the first round. David Bell from Purdue is still available. There's a couple really good ones. Disappointed in them. And then finally, I think the other, the other loser, if you will, of the NFL draft, how about, how about those New England Patriots? So Bill Belichick's going to do his own thing. I get it. I understand it. He's going to do what he thinks is best for the organization. He took a guard from Chattanooga in the first round. Like, Bill Belichick, what are we even doing? This was San Francisco's pick originally. It gets moved around. It ends up being the New England Patriots pick at 29. And the Patriots took a guard from Chattanooga. They traded up to get a guard from Chattanooga. So maybe this guy ends up being the best guard in the history of the NFL. But this was like, what are we doing, Bill Belichick? Uh, the Patriots, I think, are the big losers alongside the Green Bay Packers. And I do think the, who did I say? Uh, the, who did I say? Who did I say? Oh, the Detroit Lions and the New York Jets are the big winners of the NFL draft. Crazy night in Vegas. Finally, let me say this. I will say one last thing about the draft, and then I do want to get to this crazy Miami booster story. But um, what I would say about the NFL draft, I do think it, 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 it is what I said it would be on Monday. I do think the draft has now become a bigger event than the individual players. Did you notice we had one quarterback go off the board in the entire first round, Kenny Pickett? We didn't need the quarterbacks. We didn't need Bryce Young. We didn't need Joe Burrow. We didn't need um, Trevor Lawrence. We didn't need Zach Wilson. One quarterback in the entire first round, and all of us, I think, were glued to the TV. Great event, great show. I think the NFL does a better job than anybody. They're just great at marketing, man. Great event. Bring in the Boys and Girls Club. Bring in the, uh, you know, whatever. Big, big brother, big sister. It's just great. It was a great event. Really excited. Um, and I'm excited for round two and round three, which obviously will happen on Friday night. So what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. Talk about boosters run wild. NIL. It's what we all wanted. Now we have players very publicly fighting with boosters at Miami. We'll discuss that. The Antonio Reeves commitment at Kentucky and much, much more. I will be right back. Everybody, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, do want to switch gears. Obviously, look, you know, the, the, the big story on Thursday was the NFL draft. We gave it its due diligence, but there has been some other stuff in college basketball going on that I do feel like we need to address. Uh, one, Antonio Reeves committed to Kentucky. We'll get to that in a minute. Gigi Jackson, number one player potentially in the class of 2023, commits to Kentucky. We'll get to that in, or to, to North Carolina. We'll get to that in a minute. But there was a banana story that came out on Thursday night during the draft that absolutely has to be discussed. And it comes from Miami. And it comes from our old buddy, John Ruiz. You remember John Ruiz? You probably don't remember John Ruiz. So let me set this up because we had a crazy story on Thursday night with players, players' agents, and boosters arguing publicly through the media, Jeff Borzello and Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN.com. We live in an NIL world now. This is what everybody wanted with NIL. And this is what you got as Miami's best player is now threatening to enter the transfer portal, because of the fact that he doesn't believe his NIL deal is good enough. So let me give you a little bit of background, and it starts on Saturday, and I talked about it a little bit earlier in the week on this show. On Saturday, I'm sitting at the USC spring football game when Nigel Pack, one of the top recruits in the transfer portal, commits to Miami. And it was a little bit of a crazy deal, and when I say transfer portal, I mean basketball transfer portal, in case that's not clear. I was at a spring football game, but a basketball story happens. And it was kind of a weird deal because Nigel Pack had been trending to Purdue forever. He's from Indianapolis. You would have thought he was going to go home. 
And then all of a sudden that morning, it appears as though Miami has come in and has you know, gotten his commitment. And so the question becomes, you know, what was it about Miami that got Nigel Pack to commit to the Canes? Oh, we found out about 20 minutes later when a Miami booster named John Ruiz put out a tweet that said this. Congratulations to Nigel Pack. The biggest life wallet deal to date. Two years, 800000 total at 400000 per year plus a car. Congratulations. So for years, we've been wondering, do high school recruits get paid? Do elite transfers get paid? What is the going rate for all of these players? Now we have NIL. What is the going rate for all of these players? And John Ruiz just puts all his dirty laundry right out there in the public. And he says, you know what? I'm paying this kid 400 k next year, and we're going to have the time of our lives for the Miami Hurricanes. And the reaction to it was obvious. Some people loved it. Oh, it's so great. These guys are getting paid. This is wonderful. And then there were others that were like, this is kind of weird and creepy. I'm not sure that I like that. And you know what my reaction was? Because I put it out on Twitter. This was my tweet shortly after the news of Nigel Pack's uh, NIL deal coming to fruition. My tweet was, by the way, this is, on t- this is after we find out that this kid's getting paid $400,000 a year. I said, shout out to the Miami assistants who will now take phone calls from every single parent of a player currently on the team demanding their kids get paid next season. Crap, if it were my son, I'd do the same. That was my opinion. I was like, listen, I know enough people in college sports right now. I know for a fact Jimbo Fisher talked about it. Jimbo Fisher talked about it this week. Andy Staples, the athletic, shared the quotes. I think Jimbo Fisher said it previously. But Jimbo Fisher took a when the the reports came out that Texas A&M was paying a million dollars for a recruit for a five-star class, for a five-star recruit in this most recent class. Jimbo Fisher's like, you know how many pe- calls I got from parents? Like, if you're paying this kid, why, when are you going to pay my kid? And Jimbo Fisher, you know, said, said it's not true. Um, and he actually made a great point. Um, Jimbo Fisher basically said, if I'm going to pay anybody, I got two guys that are going to enter the NFL draft. Why don't I just pay them to come back? That makes more sense than paying a five-star recruit. But when that happened, Jimbo Fisher took a bunch of phone calls. And as soon as I saw this Nigel Pack story, I go, oh, my goodness. I would not want to be an assistant coach at Miami right now in football or in basketball, because you're never going to be able to get a commitment from a kid without a sweet NIL deal. It's just not going to happen. If that was my son, I wouldn't let him go back to Miami and play for nothing. Room and board, screw that. Give me some money, John Ruiz. So what happened on Thursday? Middle of the the NFL draft, we're all having a good time, drinking. My team drafted this guy. My team drafted that guy. Jeff Borzello, my guy, I think he's great at what he does. Jonathan Gavoni, I don't know as well. They put out a story where Isaiah Wong, the best player arguably on Miami's Elite Eight team from this past year, he wants his money now. And he says, I, I led this team to an Elite Eight, and I will enter the transfer portal if you don't sweeten my deal. Here are the exact quotes from the agent of Isaiah Wong, the star basketball player from the University of Miami. If Isaiah and his family don't feel that the NIL number meets their expectations, they will be entering the transfer portal tomorrow, which is Friday, while maintaining his eligibility in the NBA draft and going through the draft process. Isaiah would like to stay at Miami. He had a great season leading his team to the Elite Eight. He has seen what incoming Miami Hurricane basketball players are getting in NIL and would like his NIL to reflect that he was the team leader of an Elite Eight team. So first of all, shout out to this agent, okay? You talk about playing both sides. This agent is Nigel Pack's agent, okay? This guy is Nigel Pack's agent, gets Nigel Pack $400,000, then he is also this player's agent, and he says, oh, my, my other guy's not getting enough either. So he gets the guy money just to raise the price up on Nigel, Isaiah Wong. That's brilliant. That's the smartest business move I've ever seen. But here's where it gets better. Apparently, Isaiah Wong already has an NIL deal with LifeWallet. And here's what John Ruiz texted to ESPN. Isaiah is under contract. Ruiz texted to ESPN. He has been treated well by, by he has been treated by LifeWallet exceptionally well. If that is what he decides, I wish him well. However, I do not renegotiate. I cannot disclose the amount, but what I can say is that he was treated very fairly. So you have a player getting 400k in Nigel Nigel Pack. You have another player that's unhappy that a guy that's never played a minute for the school while I led him to an Elite Eight is getting 400K and he wants more. Then you got the booster saying, we're already taking care of him. 
we do not renegotiate. What a story, what a, excuse my language, if you're driving in the car with the kids, please turn down the volume, but what a shit show. And what I can tell you is, I told you this was going to happen. Never forget, and this isn't this is me bragging and patting myself on the back, but when NIL was coming in, I saw all these guys and girls that don't cover college sports, they don't know what's going on. They said, put in NIL, let these guys make the money. And I said, I want guys to get paid but there's got to be some kind of rules. NFL has a salary cap. NBA has a salary cap. Now, I know people will say, well, you know, you don't, uh, there's, no, there's no cap on how much they can make on endorsements. That's true. But at the same time, we know it's not really about endorsements. It's about pay for play. So first of all, to go back to the most basic question, many of you are going to ask me, well, isn't this pay for play? Isn't this an NCAA rules violation? If he comes back, it's clearly for money. Yeah, it is. But is it, does the NCAA have the teeth to do anything about it? I don't think so. They don't even have a president right now. Mark Emmett retired. But I bring it up to say this is where it was always going to go. And I had somebody who, just let the guys make money. Who cares? Whatever. What are they going to get? 20000 No. Follow this stuff. I follow. I, I live this stuff 365 days a year. And I said this is going to turn into the wild, wild west overnight. And that's exactly what happened. And so I think there's some lessons to be learned here. First of all, you never put out the NIL deals because it's never going to make anybody happy. If you're the last player on the bench, even if you're making nothing, you want something, right? If you're the ninth guy at Miami, well, crap, I was still part of that Elite Eight team. I might not want 400K, but I might want 50K. I might want 75K. Am I not worth 75K? Am I not worth 50K? And so what this did, first of all, this guy, John Ruiz, is a total idiot, okay? A billionaire, okay, he's not an idiot, smarter than I am. He's got, you know, several more billion in the bank than I do. But this is why you don't put out the terms. Because now everybody wants something. And so to me, I think the, my biggest takeaway is I don't know how Miami ever recruits a player again without giving them money in NIL. I don't know how, if my son was a five-star or a four-star or a three-star Miami offered, I'm like, that's cool, room and board, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Give me some cash. What are we talking about here? And I told you this was going to happen. I've been saying it since Urban Meyer turned down the Texas job a year and a half ago. I said he doesn't, he's 60 years old, 54 years old. He doesn't want to sit in recruiting meetings. For, for 30 years, he's been sitting in recruiting meetings. It's about the education. It's about the value of the degree. It's about getting you ready for the NFL. Now you've got an agent sitting in there saying, yeah, but what can you do for me? And so, you know, my only real takeaway is what I just said. One, this guy, John Ruiz, is an idiot. Should have never put out the details publicly. Just let the kid commit, pay the kid whatever. When he gets to campus and he's driving a fancy car, everyone will figure out that he's getting something from you. But once you put it out, now everybody wants that. Now that's the going rate. Now that's the minimum. That's the threshold, right? It's like quarterback money in the NFL. Once one guy gets $40 million, somebody wants 41 whether they're actually better than him or not. And that's where Isaiah Wong is, and now they've got to renegotiate. I think it's terrible. I don't think it's good for college sports, but I think it's the reality of where we are. And what I'm most curious about is where do we go? Where do we go if there are not rules and regulations put into place? Again, I'm not anti-NIL, but there's a reason there's a salary cap in the NFL. There's a reason there's a salary cap in the NBA. There's a reason there should have been some sort of cap or limitation or something when it came to this stuff in college sports. Because where is this going? First of all, we know what a going rate for a five-star quarterback is. It's apparently $8 million. Over four years, that's $2 million a year. Not great at math. That ain't going to stay that way. I mean, if Ar- I don't think Arch Manning is making a decision based on the money. But, I mean, what's, what's Arch Manning worth on, on the open market? We know 400000 for a transfer. What about a five-star? Is he worth more? Is he worth less? Is he worth this? Is he worth that? So, to me, we need some sort of regulation. I'm not saying don't give guys money. What I am saying is there have to be rules in place. There have to be regulations. It can't just be people throwing money around because look what's happening in college basketball right now. We got all sorts of guys just entering the portal just to see if there's money to be made. We got the Baylor Shireman kid from South Dakota State. We're going to talk about him in a minute with Kentucky. Same agent. He's just going in to see how much money he can get. Two kids from St. Bonaventure. There's a bunch of kids. They're just going in just to see how much money they can get. I'm not saying kids don't deserve money, but is this what we want? Just every year, everybody's a free agent, and this is what it is. People say, you know, uh, this is free agency in college sports. No, it's not free agency in college sports because every year, 
guys aren't every guy isn't a free agent in the NFL every year. You sign Patrick Mahomes to a seven-year deal, he doesn't just come to the table next offseason and say, ah, eh, you know, we're going to renegotiate. So this is the chaos that you wanted. This is the chaos that you got. And my only other thought really in the bigger picture is this. What is the future of college sports in terms of how things are structured? And let me explain what I mean. It used to be a big part of, how, of the coach that you signed, like a big part of his job was to recruit, right? Like that's what makes Nick Saban the greatest. He's, he's the, one of the greatest X's and O's guys ever. He's one of the greatest game planners ever. But he's also a rabid recruiter. Great in the home, great with parents, great with grandparents. He's eating mom's dinner, whatever. Same with John Calipari. Same with Coach K. John Calipari, first day at his press conference, I'm going to recruit the best of the best. That's why they went out and got John Calipari in 2009. Because he could bring in players that other people couldn't. Recruiting was his strength, okay? Is that even going to matter anymore? Is that going to matter? Or is it going to be kind of like an, an NFL, NBA structure where you have maybe one person that deals with player personnel and deals with the boosters to, to rally the money, and then the coach just coaches. Because if, if where we're going, like, like think about the, the situation at Tennessee with the $8 million quarterback. Now, it's clear that that was a guy that Tennessee wanted, but was he number one on Josh Heupel's big board? Was that the guy that he definitively wanted, or was that the guy the boosters wanted? And is that where we're going to go? That the boosters, the money people, are going to say, that's the guy that I want, we're going to go get him, and the coach just has to coach him, and the kid just shows up at campus, and the coach is like, well, I guess this is the guy that I'm coaching. I don't know, but that feels like where we're headed really quick. This John Ruiz story is absolutely bananas, but the guy has nobody to blame but himself. So let's get to just some of the news and notes from college hoops over the last couple of days. The first one, uh, it does come at the University of Kentucky, and I've talked about Kentucky a lot during this offseason for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, obviously Oscar Shibway last week announces that he's coming back. I told you all about that Shaden Sharp story, the number one high school player in America that very likely is never going to play at Kentucky. But one thing that I said really about a week, 10 days ago was it felt like a very quiet off season for John Calipari. This time last year, Cal, I think did as good a job as anybody in the transfer portal, got severe Wheeler from Georgia, got Kellen Grady from Davidson, got CJ Frederick from Iowa, got Ty Ty Washington as a high school player. But it had been a very quiet offseason for Kentucky in terms of players coming and going. Well, that finally changed on Wednesday when they got one of the most high-profile transfers still available in the portal right now. Kid's name is Antonio Reeves, six foot six guard, played at Illinois State, averaged 20-plus points per game. And let me just say, I absolutely love this commitment, and I absolutely think that in an offseason where Kentucky... I don't think there is bad. I don't think there, you know, the Kentucky fan base feels like it's down on the program right now. I don't think the program is, is, is in as bad a shape as many people think. But they did need a player like this. They did get the player that they needed. And I think they're pretty close to completing the 2022-2023 roster sans one or two players. First of all, this kid Antonio Reeves, really, really talented player. As I said, six foot six. Originally from Chicago, the obvious tie there, uh, new, he's not new, but Kentucky assistant coach Chin Coleman has been there for a year, has ties to Chicago, and this kid was at Illinois State, Dan Mueller, their head coach gets fired, he hits the portal, and it was frankly a very interesting recruitment. Um, he hits the portal even really before the NCAA tournament is done, shortly after the season ends. He's in the portal for a while, and it feels like he's trending to Kentucky for a very long time takes an official visit two weekends ago, and it seems like it's only a matter of time before he commits. Then we wait, and nothing, and nothing, and nothing. And then there was a report from my buddy Jack Pilgrim on Monday or Tuesday that Oregon was trying to swoop in with a big NIL deal, and then finally on Wednesday we get the commitment. Now in terms of what he's going to bring to Kentucky, I think he's going to bring exactly what they need. So Kentucky's roster next year, I think, is largely set, and I think it's in better shape, as I just said a minute ago, than a lot of people will give it credit for. Severe Wheeler is back at point guard. I know he was kind of a controversial figure, a little bit short. He was injury prone when he came back from multiple injuries. He was a little bit out of shape, but he was still also a finalist for the Koozie Award as the nation's top point guard. He did lead the SEC in assists, so they're set at point guard. They have a really good shooter named C.J. Frederick, who, who redshirted last year after an injury, and they have a McDonald's All-American freshman coming in named Kaysen Wallace. 
I think the one thing that they needed was another scorer in the backcourt, specifically on the wing, and that is exactly what this guy brings. 20.1 points per game. This was a guy that also shot 39% from three, and why I like him is because he brings a skill set at a size that Kentucky did not have. They have the true point guard in Severe Wheeler. They have C.J. Frederick, who's like a 46, 47% career three-point shooter, but this guy is kind of the three-level scorer that they need. Obviously, as I said, 39% from three, but also a super big, super long, super athletic player that can get to the rim and finish there. I said it on my quick YouTube reaction when it happened. In a lot of ways, he actually, his, his size and his body frame does remind me, unfortunately, of the, 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 the late Terrence Clark. Terrence Clark played at Kentucky two years ago, obviously passed away a little over a year ago in a tragic car accident, but that big, lanky, six foot six, six foot seven frame can take you off the dribble, can finish at the rim, and obviously Antonio Reeves is a better three-point shooter than Terrence Clark was, but I believe that, that, that to me is kind of the comp of his body type, size, and skill set. I would also say on top of that, I do believe because of the length and athleticism, I'm not as worried about the jump from the mid-major to high-major as well. That's what a lot of people ask me. Well, well Torres, what are you going to get from him? He played, from, he played in the Missouri Valley at Illinois State. And I am one of those guys that's always sort of hesitant, always a little bit hesitant to praise mid-major guys too much when they're jumping up a level. I do think sometimes there's, there's a speed element that it takes players a while to catch up on, an athleticism element that catch, takes players a while to catch up on. Even Kellen Grady this past year at Kentucky said it really took him a month or two to get used to the speed of this thing. Well, Antonio Reeves, I don't think he's going to step in on day one and be a superstar, but I do think because, again, the size, the length, the measurables, he is going to have an easier adjustment than some players coming up from the mid-major level. Some players are just more skilled, they're just bigger, they're just more physical. This kid has high major traits in terms of size, strength, athleticism, and that's how, why I think he's going to have success. Now, in terms of Kentucky, what I would say is I think this is essentially one of the final few pieces on this roster for 2023, and again, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. I understand why a lot of people on the fan base are frustrated with this team coming out of the season where they lost to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament, but ever forget it's a team that won a lot of games in the regular season, uh, destroyed Kansas at Kansas, um, you know, beat North Carolina, which played for a national championship, uh, beat Tennessee in the regular season, which won the SEC championship. And so I just bring it up to say I understand the frustration, but I think this team is going to be pretty good. First of all, when Oscar Shibway came back, I said it on this show. I said, look, if you got Oscar Shibway, you got yourselves a chance, and they have Oscar Shibway as long as he's in these games, as long as he's healthy. He is going to keep them in every game because of his rebounding, because of his ability. When you get 15, 18 boards a game, it just creates so many second, third chances for your offense and so many fewer second, third chances for the other team. But on top of that, I kind of like how the pieces are coming together. As I said, you got Severe Wheeler point guard. You got C.J. Frederick on the wing as a shooter. And this guy, Antonio Reeves, is kind of the combo guard that can both shoot, that can attack, that can finish at the rim. I don't think he'll be a great point guard, but I think he can handle the ball in the crunch if need be. And so I just really like him as a piece. Obviously, the front court is mostly set with Oscar Shibway, have Lance Wareback, have Jacob Toppin, who I think is a potential breakout player as well on the wing. And so Kentucky, I think, is in really good shape going into next year. Now, I do think they really do need one more piece, specifically in the backcourt. I didn't even mention Damian Collins, who's back former McDonald's All-American. I do think they need one more backcourt back piece because... I just think you can't go into the season with just four guards, especially four guards when Severe Wheeler could not stay healthy last year and C.J. Frederick has been hurt quite a bit throughout his career. So obviously they're pursuing like a lot of teams are. That kid from South Dakota State, Baylor Shireman. Um, as of right now, I don't have a great feel for where Kentucky or Kansas or Arkansas, they're, they're, he's down to 10 schools already. I don't know where they stand but I do think they need probably one more backcourt player to finish out this class. Again, the front court I think is set. Damian Collins, Lance Ware, Chris Livingston, who I didn't mention, which is kind of a 3-4 combo kid, McDonald's All-American, Jacob Toppin, and of course Oscar Shibway. But really good commitment for Kentucky, the guy that they needed. And now I'll be very curious to see what else they do in the transfer portal. Really quick, a couple other news and notes. will be kind of quick on these so we can get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Uh, but the first one, Gigi Jackson, big commitment for North Carolina. For people who don't follow, 
the day-to-day recruiting mechanisms of, of high school and college basketball. Gigi Jackson, one of the top five players in the high school class of 2023, so he is going into his senior year, really blew up over the last year or so. It feels like I've been saying that about a lot of kids. I talked about it with Shaden Sharp, all that good stuff. But Gigi Jackson, over the last year or so, absolutely blows up, is a top five player in the class of 2023, and it seemed like actually he was trending towards South Carolina for a very long time, had a great relationship with Frank Martin, with his with the previous staff there. Frank Martin gets fired, and from the second that Frank Martin gets fired, it feels as though North Carolina is going to be the team. Still, it took a few weeks, it took some time, but on Wednesday, Gigi Jackson commits, and again, drum roll please, <laughs> I already told you, he's going to North Carolina. Now, this is one I'm not going to spend a ton of time on because he is not committing for the 2023, for the 2022-2023 season. He is going into his senior year of high school. He talked about reclassifying. He said, I'm not reclassifying. I've seen these other guys do it. It doesn't usually work out. I'm going to enjoy my senior year of high school. Uh, but he is a really good player, and I'm really excited to see him in a college uniform. Big kid, about six foot eight, six foot nine, but kind of a new age, modern wing don't want to compare him to Jason Tatum or Paul George, but he's kind of got that game where he's got the pull-up game where he can stretch the floor, shoot a three, can kind of shoot off the dribble. Just like one of these new age kids that you just didn't see 10, 15 years ago that at six foot eight, six foot nine could make plays on the perimeter. I'd also say it's another, <laughs> I'll say this, great time to be Hubert Davis. I mean, think about Hubert Davis. Three months ago, you had guys like Torres just absolutely crushing him. Hubert Davis, what's wrong with them? They should have done a real search. Why don't they go get a real coach? Then he gets hot at the end of the year, and, and I think he, I don't want to even want to say he got hot because that insinuates that he didn't do anything. But the team gets hot. He rallies them. They play great in the NCAA tournament. They go to the Final Four. Then they get back their entire roster minus Brady Manick for 2022-2023. I have them number one. I know a lot of other people have them number one. But Caleb Williams, or Caleb Williams, Caleb Love is back. Uh, Armando Baycott is back. Leaky Black is back. And now you have the number one team coming into next season, or at least top two, top three. Some people would disagree if they're number one. But a top three team coming off a Final Four National Championship game appearance. Now you have the number one player potentially in the class of 2023. is ranked about three, four, five, depending on the recruiting service. North Carolina. Keeping it rolling. How about my boy Hubert Davis? He is rocking and rolling. Finally, what I would say is this. The portal is humming, and as I've told you, Sunday is the final day to enter, and we got a big name in the portal on Thursday that I just want to discuss very, very, very quickly. That is a player named Patrick Baldwin Jr., okay? Patrick Baldwin Jr., very interesting story. If the name sounds familiar, it should. It should sound familiar. He was a top five player in the class of 2021. So he was a senior last year, a freshman in college this year. And he had one of the most unique decisions that I've ever seen. His father was the head coach at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Patrick Baldwin Sr., surprise, surprise. And Patrick Baldwin Jr. was a top five high school prospect that committed to his father and University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee over Duke. So he could have gone to Duke. He could have played with Paolo Bancaro, A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, all those guys. Instead, he chooses to go to Milwaukee to play for his dad, completely falls off the radar. I feel, In many ways, I feel bad. He went there to help his dad keep his job. He gets hurt. His dad gets fired. And after the season, he had a decent season. He only played in 11 games total, 12 points per game. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Didn't really do much except for score about six rebounds per game. But he decides after the season, he's going to enter the draft. But on Thursday, he put his name in the transfer portal in case he decides to come back to college. Now, as of right now, the plan is for him to remain in the NBA draft, but he wants to weigh all his options. And you talk about a player that can be a difference maker at the high major level. Patrick Baldwin's the best player in the transfer portal right now, okay? About six foot eight, six foot nine. Again, I just talked about it with Gigi Jackson, but really a big kid that can handle the ball, that can shoot the ball. Really talented player. Uh, again, he was projected as a top 10 pick coming into this year. He got hurt. He's playing for his dad. There's not really very much talent around him, but now he is in the transfer portal. I think if he doesn't like where his draft stock is, he could consider coming back. And you talk about a huge prize, 
for some school, Patrick Baldwin is it. Have no idea where he's considering. Obviously, you'd think that Duke would be a consideration, but they have a pretty loaded class coming in. You would think Patrick Baldwin wants to go to a place where he can play with other good players, but also be featured. Patrick Baldwin, top five player in the high school class of 2021, just finished his freshman season, declared for the NBA draft, but is also going to enter the portal and consider a return to college. All right, I think that was a good little whip around, 14 minutes on what's going on in college basketball. Antonio Reeves at Kentucky. Uh, Gigi Jackson commits to North Carolina. And Patrick Baldwin headed to the portal. That's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to do something fun. I want to bring back America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, with a little bit of a twist. We are going to do an NBA or an NFL draft specific, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, talking about my best and worst NFL draft predictions through the years. Uh, let me tell you, there's been some really bad ones. We're going to discuss those next. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, coming up next. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And the concept of this segment, I say it all the time, it's pretty straightforward, right? I stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Don't want anybody claiming that I, that I created this myself. But Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. And I have brought it to this show, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I come on this show every week, three times a week, three episodes a week. And I give you just the straight opinion for about an hour, hour, ten straight doing this show. And when I get stuff right... I love to tell you how smart I am, and I can't, I told you this was going to happen, blah, 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 blah. But I also get a lot of stuff wrong, too. And so what I want to do is where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. What we're going to do is an NFL draft-specific edition. This is, I believe, the third or fourth year that we have done a show during the NFL draft, and I've gotten a lot of stuff right. And as you will soon find out, I have gotten a lot of stuff wrong. So this is an NFL draft specific where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, trying to keep it to mostly stuff that has happened since we did this show. One or two of them may be from before the show actually launched, but let's get into it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. Remember last year around this time when all the draft experts told you, you can't take Mac Jones in round one. He stinks. Anybody could have done what he did at Alabama because he had so much talent around him. And what did your boy Torres say? I said, well, wait a second now. He literally set an NCAA completion record for Division I FBS football. So if anyone could do what he did, how come literally no one in the history of the sport ever did? So that's one. Two, we never criticized any of the other quarterbacks for having too much talent around them. Never criticized Joe Burrow. I never heard anybody say, well, Joe Burrow has too much talent around him. You can't take him number one overall. Never heard anybody say it about, by the way, Mac Jones' teammate, Tua Tonga Viola, who had more talent around him than Mac Jones did. I said, look, if you want to take Mac Jones, I want to take him one over Trevor Lawrence. But the 49ers had the third pick. I said, if you want to take him at three, you want to take him later in the first round, I have no problem with it. Well, what ended up happening? Oh, Mac Jones was by far the best rookie quarterback last year. Now, clearly he had a good situation with Bill Belichick. They didn't ask him to do too much, but let's not act like his situation was so much better than anybody else's. The New England Patriots roster is not very good, and there are a lot of limitations to it, but Mac Jones, within about, I don't know, a week, beats out Cam Newton for the starting job. Then he proceeds to finish second in the Offensive Rookie of the Year behind Jamar Chase, who, oh, trust me, we will be talking about in a minute. The New England Patriots go 10-7, and make the playoffs, and don't forget, there was about a two, three-week stretch where we thought they might be the best team in the AFC. So credit Mac Jones. This time last year, everybody was saying, you can't take Mac Jones in the first round. I said, why not? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I would take him. I would have no issue with it. Congrats to Mac Jones on a successful rookie season. Where Aaron was wrong. <laughs> a year before Mac Jones, there was a little guy named Joe Burrow who went number one overall. I never came on this show and said you shouldn't take Joe Burrow number one overall. But what I did say at the time was, is it at all possible that he kind of was in the perfect situation at the perfect time at LSU? Great play caller in Joe Brady. So much talent around him with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Is it possible that he was in a perfect situation? And I think at the time, my thought process was kind of justified. 
it wasn't just that he got beat out by, unfortunately, the late Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State where he lost that starting quarterback job at Ohio State. But don't forget his first year at LSU, he wasn't very good either. 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. He was fine, but nobody thought he was uh, even a, a day, you know, top, you know, third round, fourth round pick going into that senior year at LSU. Then he blows up, then he's the number one overall pick. So I said, look, you got to take him number one overall. I'm just not betting on him being an all-time quarterback. Well, fast forward two years, I, yeah, I got that one wrong. Joe Burrow, of course, goes to the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals are one of the great stories in recent football history, and he has established himself as a bona fide star. Credit Joe Burrow. This is one of the all-time where Aaron was wrong whiffs. I did not think Joe Burrow was going to be this. Credit to him. Where Aaron was right. Let's go back to last year's draft. Second overall, Zach Wilson, and I said, I just don't get it, right? So the season ends, and it becomes this automatic default thing. Well, Jacksonville's going to take Trevor Lawrence at number one. Okay, I understood that. And then Zach Wilson is going to go number two overall. And I said, well, wait a second now. Why is Zach Wilson like the definitive number two overall pick? As I said on this show at the time, I host Fox Sports Radio's national, you know, late night show on Saturday. If you remember to the fall of 2020, the Pac-12 did not play football until November, which means there was only one school on on the West Coast every Saturday when I signed on to do my radio show. It was BYU. I watched a lot of BYU that year and never at any point during that season did I say, that is the definitive second best player in college football behind Trevor Lawrence. Never said that. And you look at the Zach Wilson thing, I never understood it. He had one good year at BYU. The year before he was kind of hit or miss. He didn't play against a single Power 5 opponent during his final year at BYU. And it just becomes this universal consensus. Well, you got to take him number two overall. You can't even consider anybody else. Well, what happened? Eh, he was kind of a disaster. Finished this past season, 11 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 55% completion percentage. And now we'll see what happens. It looks like another whiff from the Jets. I never understood why it was so definitive that you had to go Zach Wilson at number two overall. Yet everybody just said, okay, he's the guy. Let's move on to number three. I never got it. Was dead wrong on that. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's go back to the Cincinnati Bengals and let's go back to this time last year. If you remember, Cincinnati, of course, by that point had Joe Burrow. They had their quarterback. And the question became, what do you do if you're the Cincinnati Bengals? Do you take the wide receiver that played with Joe Burrow at LSU that Joe Burrow clearly wants, Jamar Chase, or do you take an offensive lineman to protect him, likely Panay Sewell, who was, of course, the offensive tackle from Oregon, who ended up with the Detroit Lions? And I came on this show. Talk about planting your flag. I said, you got to take the offensive lineman. Because keep in mind, at this time last year, never forget, Joe Burrow was coming off major knee surgery, which, which happened early in the season because the Cincinnati Bengals could not protect them. And the Bengals fans said, well, we signed this guy in the offseason and blah, blah, blah. I said, no, go out and draft a franchise offensive tackle, which is what I believe Panay Sewell was. Instead, they go Jamar Chase. I said it was the wrong decision. And uh, yeah, again, I was dead wrong on that. Not only was Jamar Chase good as a rookie, I mean, he became, by the end of the year, like one of the best weapons in the league. It was incredible. I talked about this during the playoffs. But it reminded me of playing in, you know, the, the backyard or in the sandlot or with your friends where there's one kid that's just faster and more athletic than everybody. And every single play, you just find a unique, different way to get it to him. You pass it to him. You toss it to him in the backfield. You run a reverse to get the ball in his hands. That's essentially what the Cincinnati Bengals did to get to the Super Bowl. Jamar Chase was incredible during those playoffs. Nine catches, 116 yards versus Vegas in wildcard weekend. Five catches, 109 yards versus Tennessee. Bunch of big plays against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Jamar Chase was obviously the offensive rookie of the year. So you talk about just being dead wrong. This was one that I really, truly believed. You got to get the offensive tackle. You have to protect. You have to protect your franchise, Joe Burrow. Instead, they go the other direction. And let's be blunt. They don't make a Super Bowl if it wasn't for Jamar Chase. Or Aaron was right. Let's go back for a third time to last year's NFL draft and the quarterback position. I already talked about Mac Jones. I already talked about Zach Wilson. Now let's talk Trey Lance. And Trey Lance was another one. I said, I'm not saying you can't take him, but why is it so universal that you have to take him specifically ahead of Mac Jones or, for that matter, Justin Fields, who I believed in as well, 
This guy we don't know anything about. First of all, he's playing at a lower level of college football, the FCS at North Dakota State. He obviously has more talented teammates. They're the best program in college football. They're the, or the, the, the FCS level, excuse me. They're the Alabama of the FCS. So he has better teammates at a lower competition. And oh, by the way, never forget, he did not play in the 2020 year because the FCS canceled their season. He played one game total against Central Arkansas, and then North Dakota State sh shut the season down and played a spring season in the spring of 2021. That's how the FCS worked. A couple teams had a couple games, but for the most part, nobody played last year. Instead, Trey Lance, I said, I don't think you should take him. Instead, what happens? He ends up going number three overall to the San Francisco 49ers. We barely see him. Jimmy Garoppolo leads San Francisco to the NFC Championship game. And now it seems to be a pretty confusing time in San Francisco. They haven't gotten rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. It does not appear as though they are very confident in Trey Lance going forward. And I think this just might be the thing where they whiffed, where they had a chance to get another piece to help them win a Super Bowl to help Jimmy G. Instead, they drafted the quarterback of the future. And I just don't know if this guy is that. Where Aaron was wrong. So it wasn't that I didn't like Kyler Murray as an NFL draft prospect. But I remember, again, doing the Fox Sports Radio thing during the Christmas holiday. I filled in like eight days in a row, and it was kind of a quiet time of the year. But it was around the time that Kyler Murray, there was real buzz that Kyler Murray was going to play in the NFL as opposed to Major League Baseball. And if you go back to that time, it's easy to forget now. But going into the year in which Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy, at that time, the belief was he's going to do one more year of football because he loves football, then he's going to put it aside, go play with the Oakland A's, and be a Major League Baseball player. He balls out, he wins the Heisman Trophy, he leads Oklahoma to the college football playoff, and there was probably about a two-week window where there was a real debate. Should he play football? Should he play baseball? Well, I came on this show, and I came on my Fox Sports Radio show and said, this guy is out of his mind. He's like five foot nine, 160 pounds. He is going to get squashed into a pile of sawdust playing in the NFL. Now, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been perfect. But I think, I was, I think I'm already wrong on how good that he has ended up being in the NFL. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, he's in contract negotiations right now, but he led Arizona to the playoffs. They were in first place in the division. They had the inside track to the number one seed in the NFC until DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. And this guy is a really good NFL quarterback. Now, again, he's going through the contract negotiations. He's playing hard to get all that. He's going to end up back with Arizona. But at the end of the day, I thought this guy was crazy for playing football. I thought baseball was the answer, and I was dead wrong on that. Where Aaron was right. So, where Aaron was right was Sam Darnold. This is one of the few. I do think it was one before this show actually launched. So, I think this, this take was just one that I had that I never shared on this podcast because there was no podcast at that time. But when Sam Darnold entered the draft, I said he is making a huge mistake. And I vividly remember, sometimes in life you just remember stuff. And I remember prior to the draft, before Sam Darnold even declared, first of all, if you remember, Sam Darnold had a great redshirt freshman year. So he redshirted as a freshman. Redshirt freshman year comes in. That's the year USC gets to the Rose Bowl, beats Penn State, instant classic. And then he came back for a sophomore year, and all of his stats went down, and everything went in the wrong direction. And I vividly remember watching Kirk Herbstreet on college game day one day when there was a real debate, should Sam Darnold go pro? Should he stay in the draft? What should he do? Should he come back to USC? And Kirk Herbstreet said something that stuck with me forever. He goes, I expect Sam Darnold to come back because the NFL is not the place to go to learn to play the quarterback position. I believe he still has stuff to learn at the quarterback position. Well, like a day later, Sam Darnold declares, and it has been a complete disaster. We all know what's going on in Carolina. We all know he's not the answer long-term, and it, you know he's basically on his last legs here as an NFL quarterback, and he's only like 23, 24 years old. He's a young guy, but he's clearly not the answer. I never understood the hype around Sam Darnold was great as a redshirt freshman, regressed in every way, shape, and form as a sophomore, still went number three overall. I'm out on Sam Darnold. I'm out on Carolina, and I think the clock is ticking on his career. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. Two years ago, talked about Joe Burrow. Two was obviously in that draft. There was another guy named Justin Herbert. <laughs> I used to call Justin Herbert college Kirk Cousins. I said, this is a guy. 
He's fine against Washington State, and he's fine against Arizona, and he's fine playing on the Pac-12 network against Oregon State. But when it's time for the big lights and the bright lights and the big games, this guy never delivers. Well, as it turns out, one, I was just dead wrong, and I think what ended up happening was I found out later after the fact maybe Mario Cristobal just isn't a great big game coach. Obviously, that 2019 season, Justin Herbert, Mario Cristobal, Oregon entered the month of November with a chance to make the college football playoff. If you remember that year, they lose to Arizona State and Herm Edwards to get knocked out of the playoff conversation. At the time, I blamed Justin Herbert. Well, fast forward this past fall, and Oregon, again, back, you know, kind of off of that win over Ohio State early in the year, was in position to make the college football playoff. Instead, they choked. And so to me, as it turns out, I was very critical of Justin Herbert, but I think in reality, the reality of that whole situation was probably that it wasn't Kirk Cousins. I just don't know if Mario Cristobal is a great big game coach, especially late in the season when the pressure is on. I call Justin Herbert college Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's awesome, including that last game of the season against the Raiders. All right, I think that's it. Fun segment, fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I love where Aaron was right where Aaron is right. Just a fun time to reflect on all the crazy stuff that I say on this show uh, over the course of the weeks, months, years, and all that good stuff. With that said, though, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. Before we get out, I want to remind you, Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. How about that? Jamar Chase, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Kyler Murray. A lot of fun where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But it's time to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening. It is time to go officially quickly. Just want to say this. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Monday. I hope everybody has a great week, people. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.